Chapter Eleven of Mount Royal, Volume Three by Mary Elizabeth Braden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven, Love bore such bitter and such deadly fruit. Leonard Tregonell went slowly up the steep, narrow lane with his dogs at his heels. It was a year since he had been this way. Good as the cover round about the waterfall was said to be for Woodcock he had carefully avoided the spot this season and his friends had been constrained to defer to his superior wisdom as a son of the soil he had gone farther afield for his sport and as there had been no lack of birds his guests had no reason for complaint yet jack vandeleur had said more than once i wonder you don't try the kiev we shot a lot of birds there last year now for the first time since that departed autumn he went up the hill to one of the happy hunting-grounds of his boyhood the place where he had fished and shot and trapped birds and hunted water-rats and climbed and torn his clothes in the careless schoolboy days when his conception of a perfectly blissful existence came as near as possible to the life of a north american indian he had always detested polite society and book-learning but he had been shrewd enough and quick enough at learning the arts he loved gunnery angling veterinary surgery he met a group of people near the top of the hill all the party except christabel and the baron one glance showed him that these two were missing from the cluster of men and women crowding through the gate that opened into the lane the waterfall is quite a shabby affair said miss st aubin there has been so little rain lately i felt ashamed to show mr faddie such a poor little dribble we are all going back to tea explained her mother i don't know what has become of mrs tregonell and the baron but i suppose they are loitering about somewhere perhaps you'll tell them we have all gone on to the farm yes i'll send them after you i told my wife i'd meet her at the kiev if i could he passed them and ran across the ploughed field while the others went down the hill talking and laughing he heard the sound of their voices and that light laughter dying away on the still air as the distance widened between him and them and he wondered if they were talking of his wife and of his seeming indifference to her folly the crisis had come he had watched her in blank amazement hardly able to believe his own senses to realize the possibility of guilt on the part of one whose very perfection had galled him and now he told himself there was no doubt of her folly no doubt that this tinselly pretender had fascinated her and that she was on the verge of destruction no woman could outrage propriety as she had been doing of late and yet escape danger the business must be stopped somehow even if he were forced to kick the baron out of doors in order to make an end of the entanglement and then what if she were to lift up her voice and accuse him if she were to turn that knowledge which he suspected her of possessing against him what then he must face the situation and pay the penalty of what he had done that was all it can't much matter what becomes of me he said to himself i have never had an hour's real happiness since i married her she warned me that it would be so warned me against my own jealous temper but i wouldn't listen to her i had my own way could she care for that man could she in spite of the coarseness of his own nature there was in leonard's mind a deep-rooted conviction of his wife's purity which was stronger even than the evidence of actual facts even now although the time had come when he must act he had a strange confused feeling like a man whose brain is under the influence of some narcotic which makes him see things that are not he felt as in some hideous dream long involved a maze of delusion and bedevilment from which there was no escape he went down into the hollow the high wooden gate stood wide open evidence that there was someone lingering below 
the leaves were still on the trees the broad feathery ferns were still green there was a low yellow light gleaming behind the ridge of rock and the steep earthly slope above the rush of the water sounded loud and clear in the silence leonard crept cautiously down the winding moss-grown track holding his dogs behind him in a leash and constraining those well-mannered brutes to perfect quiet he looked down into the deep hollow through which the water runs and over which there is that narrow footbridge whence the waterfall is seen in all its beauty an arc of silvery light cleaving the dark rock above and flashing down to the dark rock below christabel was standing on the bridge with de cazalet at her side they were not looking up at the waterfall their faces were turned the other way to the rocky river-bed fringed with fern and wild rank growth of briar and weed the baron was talking earnestly his head bent over christabel till it seemed to those furious eyes staring between the leafage as if his lips must be touching her face his hand clasped hers that was plain enough just then the spaniel stirred and rustled the dank dead leaves christabel started and looked up towards the trees that screened her husband's figure a guilty start a guilty look leonard thought but those eyes of hers could not pierce the leafy screen and they drooped again looking downward at the water beneath her feet she stood in a listening attitude as if her whole being hung upon de cazalet's words what was he pleading so intensely what was that honeyed speech to which the false wife listened unresistingly motionless as the bird spellbound by the snake so might eve have listened to the first tempter in just such an attitude with just such an expression every muscle relaxed the head gently drooping the eyelids lowered a tender smile curving the lips the first tempted wife might have hearkened to the silver-sweet tones of her seducer devil muttered leonard between his clenched teeth even in the agony of his rage rage at finding that this open folly which he had pretended not to see had been but the light and airy prelude to the dark theme of secret guilt that wrong which he felt most deeply was his wife's falsehood to herself her wilful debasement of her own noble character he had known her and believed in her as perfect and pure among women and now he saw her deliberately renouncing all claim to man's respect lowering herself to the level of the women who can be tempted he had believed her invulnerable it was as if diana herself had gone astray as if the very ideal and archetype of purity among women had become perverted he stood breathless almost holding back his dogs gazing listening with as much intensity as if only the senses of hearing and sight lived in him and all the rest were extinct he saw the baron draw nearer and nearer as he urged his prayer who could doubt the nature of that prayer until the two figures were posed in one perfect harmonious whole and then his arm stole gently round the slender waist christabel sprang away from him with a coy laugh not now she said in a clear voice so distinct as to reach that listener's ears i can answer nothing now to-morrow but my soul why delay to-morrow she repeated and then she cried suddenly hark there is someone close by did you not hear there had been no sound but the waterfall not even the faintest ruffle of a leaf the two dogs crouched submissively at their master's feet while that master himself stood motionless as a stone figure i must go cried christabel think how long we have stayed behind the others we shall set people wondering she sprang lightly from the bridge to the bank and came quickly up the rocky path a narrow winding track which closely skirted the spot where leonard stood concealed by the broad leaves of a chestnut 
she might almost have heard his hurried breathing she might almost have seen the lurid eyes of his dogs gleaming athwart the rank undergrowth but she stepped lightly past and vanished from the watcher's sight de cazalet followed christabel stop he exclaimed i must have your answer now my fate hangs upon your words you cannot mean to throw me over i have planned everything in three days we shall be at pes secure from all pursuit he was following in christabel's track but he was not swift enough to overtake her being at some disadvantage upon that slippery way where the moss-grown slabs of rock offered a very insecure footing as he spoke the last words christabel's figure disappeared among the trees upon the higher ground above him and a broad herculean hand shot out of the leafy background and pinioned him scoundrel profligate impostor hissed a voice in his ear and leonard tregonell stood before him white panting with flecks of foam upon his livid lips devil you have corrupted and seduced the purest woman that ever lived you shall answer to me her husband for your infamy oh is that your tune exclaimed the baron wrenching his arm from that iron grip they were both powerful men fairly matched in physical force cool hardened by rough living is that your game i thought you didn't mind you dastardly villain what did you take me for a common product of nineteenth-century civilization answered the other coolly one of those liberal-minded husbands who allow their wives as wide a license as they claim for themselves liar cried leonard rushing at him with his clenched fist raised to strike the baron caught him by the wrist held him with fingers of iron take care he said two can play at that game if it comes to knocking a man's front teeth down his throat i may as well tell you that i have given the frisco dentist a good bit of work in my time you forget that there's no experience of a rough and ready life that you have had which i have not gone through twice over if i had you in colorado we'd soon wipe off this little score with a brace of revolvers let cornwall be colorado for the nonce we could meet here as easily as we could meet in any quiet nook across the channel or in the wilds of america no time like the present no spot better than this if we had only the barkers said the cazalet but unluckily we haven't i'll meet you here to-morrow at daybreak say sharp seven we can arrange about the pistols to-night vandeleur will come with me he'd run any risk to serve me and i dare say you could get little monty to do as much for you he's a good plucked one do you mean it unquestionably very well tell vandeleur what you mean and let him settle the details in the meantime we can take things quietly before the ladies there is no need to scare any of them i am not going to scare them down termagant said leonard to the irish setter as the low light branches of a neighbouring tree were suddenly stirred and a few withered leaves drifted down from the rugged bank above the spot where the two men were standing well i suppose you're a pretty good shot said the baron coolly taking out his cigar-case so there'll be no disparity by the by there was a man killed here last year i heard a former rival of yours yes there was a man killed here answered leonard walking slowly on perhaps you killed him i did answered leonard turning upon him suddenly i killed him as i hoped to kill you as i would kill any man who tried to come between me and the woman i loved he was a gentleman and i am sorry for him he fired in the air and made me feel like a murderer he knew how to make that last score i have never had a peaceful moment since i saw him fall face downward on that broad slab of rock on the other side of the bridge 
you see i am not afraid of you or i shouldn't tell you this i suspected as much from the time i heard the story said de cazalet i rarely believe in those convenient accidents which so often dispose of inconvenient people but don't you think it might be better for you if you were to choose a different spot for to-morrow's meeting two of your rivals settled in the same gully might look suspicious for i dare say you intend to kill me i shall try answered leonard then suppose we were to meet on those sands turbar with sands i think you call the place not much fear of interruption there i should think at seven o'clock in the morning you can settle that and everything else with vandeleur said leonard striding off with his dogs and leaving the baron to follow at his leisure de cazalet walked slowly back to the farm meditating deeply it's devilish unlucky that this should have happened he said to himself an hour ago everything was going on velvet we might have got quietly away to-morrow for i know she meant to go cleverly as she fenced with me just now and left my gentleman to his legal remedy which would have secured the lady and her fortune to me as soon as the divorce court business was over he would have followed us with the idea of fighting no doubt but i should have known how to give him the slip and then we should have started in life with a clean slate now there must be no end of a row if i kill him it will be difficult to get away and if i bolt how am i to be sure of the lady will she come to Montlure when i call her will she go away with me to-morrow yes that will be my only chance i must get her to promise to meet me at bodmin road station in time for the plymouth train there's one starts at eleven i can drive from trebarworth to bodmin with a good horse take her straight through to london and from london by the first available express to edinburgh she shall know nothing of what has happened till we are in scotland and then i can tell her that she is a free woman and my wife by the scottish law a bond which she can make as secure as she likes by legal and religious ceremonies the baron had enough insight into the feminine character to know that a woman who has leisure for deliberation upon the verge of ruin is not very likely to make the fatal plunge the boldly deliberately bad are the rare exceptions among womankind the women who err are for the most part hustled and hurried into wrong-doing hemmed round and beset by conflicting interests bewildered and confused by false reasoning whirled into the maelstrom of fashion helpless as the hunted hare the baron had pleaded his cause eloquently as he thought had won christabel almost to consent to elope with him but not quite she had seemed so near yielding yet had not yielded she had asked for time time to reflect upon the fatal step and reflection was just that one privilege which must not be allowed to her strange he thought that not once had she spoken of her son the wrong she must inflict upon him her agony at having to part with him beautiful fascinating although he deemed her proud as he felt at having subjugated so lovely a victim it seemed to de cazalet that there was something hard and desperate about her as of a woman who went wrong deliberately and of set purpose yet on the brink of ruin she drew back and was not to be moved by any special pleading of his to consent to an immediate elopement vainly he had argued that the time had come that people were beginning to look askance that her husband's suspicions might be aroused at any moment she had been rock in her resistance of these arguments but her consent to an early flight must now be extorted from her delay or hesitation now might be fatal if he killed his man and he had little doubt in his own mind that he should kill him it was essential that his flight should be instant the days were past when juries were disposed to look leniently upon gentlemanly homicide if he were caught red-handed the penalty of his crime would be no light one 
i was a fool to consent to such a wild plan he told himself i ought to have insisted upon meeting him on the other side of the channel but to draw back now might look bad and would lessen my chance with her no there is no alternative course i must dispose of him and get her away without the loss of an hour the whole business had to be thought out carefully his intent was deadly and he planned this duel with as much wicked deliberation as if he had been planning a murder he had lived among men who held all human life except their own lightly and to whom duelling and assassination were among the possibilities of everyday existence he thought how if he and the three other men could reach that lonely bend of the coast unobserved they might leave the man who should fall lying on the sand with never an indication to point how he fell de cazalet felt that in vandeleur there was a man to be trusted he would not betray even though his friend were left there dead upon the low level sand waste for the tide to roll over him and hide him and wrap the secret of his doom in eternal silence there was something of the freebooter in jack vandeleur an honour among thieves kind of spirit which the soul of that other freebooter recognised and understood we don't want little montague thought de cazalet one man will be second enough to see fair play the fuss and formality of the thing can be dispensed with that little beggar's ideas are too insular he might round upon me so meditating upon the details of to-morrow the baron went down the hill to the farm where he found the mount royal party just setting out on their homeward journey under the shades of evening stars shining faintly in the blue infinite above them leonard was not among his wife's guests nor had he been seen by any of them since they met him at the field gate an hour ago he has made tracks for home no doubt said jack vandeleur they went across the fields and by the common beyond Trevalga, walking briskly, talking merrily in the cool evening air, all except Mopsy, from whose high-heeled boots there was no surcease of pain. Alas, those Württemberg heels and the boots just half a size too small for the wearer, for how many a bitter hour of woman's life have they to answer? De Cazalet tried in vain during that homeward walk to get confidential speech with Christabel. He was eager to urge his new plan the departure from bodmin road station but she was always surrounded he fancied even that she made it her business to avoid him coquette he muttered to himself savagely they are all alike i thought she was a little better than the rest but they are all ground in the same mill he could scarcely get a glimpse of her face in the twilight she was always a little way ahead or a little way behind him now with jessie bridgman now with emily st aubyn skimming over the rough heathy ground flitting from group to group when they entered the house she disappeared almost instantly leaving her guests lingering in the hall too tired to repair at once to their own rooms content to loiter in the glow and warmth of the wood-fires it was seven o'clock they had been out nearly nine hours what a dreadfully long day it has been exclaimed emily st aubyn with a stifled yawn isn't that the usual remark after a pleasure party demanded mr fitzjesse i have found the unfailing result of any elaborate arrangement for human felicity to be an abnormal lengthening of the hours just as every strenuous endeavour to accomplish some good work for one's fellow-men infallibly provokes the enmity of the class to be benefited oh it has all been awfully enjoyable don't you know said miss st aubyn and it was very sweet of mrs tregonell to give us such a delightful day but i can't help feeling as if we had been out a week and now we have to dress for dinner which is rather a trial why not sit down as you are let us have a tailor gown and shooting jacket dinner as a variety upon a calico ball suggested little monty impossible we should feel dirty and horrid 
said Miss St. Aubin. The freshness and purity of the dinner-table would make us ashamed of our grubbiness. Besides, however could we face the servants? No, the effort must be made. Come, mother, you really look as if you wanted to be carried upstairs. By voluntary contributions, murmured Fitzjesse aside to Miss Bridgman, Briarus himself could not do it single-handed, as one of our vivacious home rulers might say. The Baron de Cazalet did not appear in the drawing-room an hour later when the house-party assembled for dinner. He sent his hostess a little note apologizing for his absence on the ground of important business letters which must be answered that night, though why a man should sit down at eight o'clock in the evening to write letters for a post which would not leave Bocastle till the following afternoon was rather difficult for any one to understand. "'I'll humbug about those letters, you may depend,' said little Monty who looked as fresh as a daisy in his smooth expanse of shirt-front with a single diamond stud in the middle of it like a lighthouse in a calm sea the baron was fairly done athlete as he pretends to be hadn't a leg to stand upon came in limping i wouldn't mind giving long odds that he won't show till to-morrow afternoon it's a case of gruel and bandages for the next twenty-four hours leonard came into the drawing-room just in time to give his arm to mrs st aubin he made himself more agreeable than usual at dinner as it seemed to that worthy matron talked more laughed louder and certainly drank more than his wont the dinner was remarkably lively in spite of the baron's absence indeed the conversation took a new and livelier turn upon that account for everybody had something more or less amusing to say about the absent one stimulated and egged on with quiet malice by mr fitzjesse anecdotes were told of his self-assurance his vanity his pretentiousness his pedigree was discussed and settled for his antecedents his married life were all submitted to the process of conversational vivisection rather rough on mrs tregonell isn't it murmured little monty to the fair dopsy do you think she really cares dopsy asked incredulously don't you not a straw she could not care for such a man as that after being engaged to mr hamley hamley was better form i admit and i used to think mrs t as straight as an arrow but i confess i've been staggered lately did you see what a calm queenly look she had all the time people were laughing at the cazalet asked dopsy a woman who cared one little bit for a man could not have taken it so quietly you think she must have flamed out said something in defence of her admirer you forget your tennyson and how guinevere marred her friend's point with pale tranquillity women are so deuced deep dear tennyson murmured dopsy whose knowledge of the laureate's works had not gone very far beyond the may queen and the charge of the six hundred it was growing late in the evening when de cazalet showed himself the drawing-room party had been in very fair spirits without him but it was a smaller and quieter party than usual for leonard had taken captain vandeleur off to his own den after dinner and mr montague had offered to play a fifty game left-handed against the combined strength of dopsy and mopsy Christabel had been at the piano almost all the evening, playing with a breadth and grandeur which seemed to rise above her usual style. The ladies made a circle in front of the fire, with Mr. Faddy and Mr. Fitzjesse talking and laughing in a subdued tone, while those grand harmonies of Beethoven's rose and fell upon their half-indifferent, half-admiring ears. Christabel played the closing chords of the funeral march of a hero as de Cazalet entered the room. He went straight to the piano and seated himself in the empty chair by her side she glided into the melancholy arpeggios of the moonlight sonata without looking up from the keys they were a long way from the group at the fire 
all the length of the room lay in deep shadow between the lamps on the mantelpiece and neighbouring tables and the candles upon the piano pianissimo music seemed to invite conversation you have written your letters she asked lightly my letters were a fiction i did not want to sit face to face with your husband at dinner after our conversation this afternoon at the waterfall you can understand that can't you christabel don't don't do that what she asked still looking down at the keys don't shudder when i call you by your christian name as you did just now christabel i want your answer to my question of to-day i told you then that the crisis of our fate had come i tell you so again to-night more earnestly if it is possible to be more in earnest than i was to-day i am obliged to speak to you here almost within earshot of those people because time is short and i must take the first chance that offers it has been my accursed luck never to be with you alone i think this afternoon was the first time that you and i have been together alone since i came here you don't know how hard it has been for me to keep every word and look within check always to remember that we were before an audience yes there has been a good deal of acting she answered quietly but there must be no more acting no more falsehood we have both made up our minds have we not my beloved i think you love me yes christabel i feel secure of your love you did not deny it to-day when i asked that thrilling question those hidden eyes the conscious droop of that proud head were more eloquent than words and for my love christabel no words can speak that it shall be told by and by in language that all the world can understand told by my deeds the time has come for decision i have had news to-day that renders instant action necessary if you and i do not leave cornwall together to-morrow we may be parted for ever have you made up your mind hardly she answered her fingers still slowly moving over the keys in those plaintive arpeggios what is your difficulty dearest do you fear to face the future with me i have not thought of the future is it the idea of leaving your child that distresses you i have not thought of him then it is my truth my devotion which you doubt give me a little more time for thought she said still playing the same sotto voce accompaniment to their speech i dare not everything must be planned to-night i must leave this house early to-morrow morning there are imperative reasons which oblige me to do so you must meet me at bodmin road station at eleven you must christabel if our lives are to be free and happy and spent together vacillation on your part will ruin all my plans trust yourself to me dearest trust my power to secure a bright and happy future if you do not want to be parted from your boy take him with you he shall be my son i will hold him for you against all the world you must leave this house early to-morrow morning she said looking up at him for the first time why for a reason which i cannot tell you it is a business in which someone else is involved and i am not free to disclose it yet you shall know all later you will tell me when we meet at bodmin road yes ah then you have made up your mind you will be there my best and dearest heaven bless you for that sweet consent had we not better leave heaven out of the question she said with a mocking smile and then slowly gravely deliberately she said yes i will meet you at eleven o'clock to-morrow at bodmin road station and you will tell me all that has happened 
what secret can i withhold from you love my second self the fair half of my soul urgently as he pleaded his cause certain as he had been of ultimate success he was almost overcome by her yielding it seemed as if a fortress which a moment before had stood up between him and the sky massive invincible the very type of the impregnable and everlasting had suddenly crumbled into ruin at his feet his belief in woman's pride and purity had never been very strong yet he had believed that here and there in this sinful world invincible purity was to be found but now he could never believe in any woman again he had believed in this one to the last although he had set himself to win her even when he had been breathing the poison of his florid eloquence into her ear even when she had smiled at him a willing listener there had been something in her look some sublime inexpressible air of stainless womanhood which had made an impassable distance between them and now she had consented to run away with him she had sunk in one moment to the level of all disloyal wives his breast thrilled with pride and triumph at the thought of his conquest and yet there was a touch of shame shame that she could so fall emily st aubin came over to the piano and made an end of all confidential talk now you are both here do give us that delicious little duet of lecoq's she said we want something cheerful before we disperse good gracious mrs tregonell how bad you look cried the young lady suddenly as white as a ghost i am tired to death answered christabel i could not sing a note for the world really then we mustn't worry you thanks so much for that lovely beethoven music the andante or the pastorale or the pathetique was it not so sweet good-night said christabel you won't think me rude if i am the first to go not at all we are all going pack up your wools mother i know you have only been pretending to knit we are all half asleep i believe we have hardly strength to crawl upstairs candles were lighted and mrs tregonell and her guests dispersed the party from the billiard-room meeting them in the hall these lighter-minded people the drama of whose existence was just now in the comedy stage went noisily up to their rooms but the baron who was usually among the most loquacious retired almost in silence nor did christabel do more than bid her guests a brief good-night neither leonard nor his friend jack vandeleur had shown themselves since dinner whether they were still in the squire's den or whether they had retired to their own rooms no one knew the baron's servant was waiting to attend his master he was a man who had been with de cazalet in california mexico and south america who had lived with him in his bachelorhood and in his married life knew all the details of his domestic career had been faithful to him in wealth and in poverty knew all that there was to be known about him the best and the worst and had made up his mind to hold by an employment which had been adventurous profitable and tolerably easy not entirely free from danger or from the prospect of adversity yet always hopeful so thorough a scamp as the baron must always find some chance open to him thus at least argued henri de mescam his unscrupulous ally the man was quick clever able to turn his hand to anything valet groom cook courier as necessity demanded is salathiel pretty fresh asked the baron fit as a fiddle he hasn't been out since you hunted him four days ago that's lucky he will be able to go to the pace to-morrow morning have him harnessed to that american buggy of mr tregonell's at six o'clock i suppose you know that it's hardly light at six there will be quite enough light for me 
pack my smallest portmanteau with linen for a week and a second suit no dress clothes and have the trap ready in the stable yard when the clock strikes six i have to catch a train at launceston at seven forty five you will follow in the afternoon with the luggage to your london room sir yes if you don't find me there you will wait for further instructions you may have to join me on the other side of the channel i hope so sir sick of england already never cared much for it sir i began to think i should die of the dullness of this place rather more luxurious than our old quarters at st heliers ten years ago when you were margaret jewson's while i was teaching drawing in french at the fashionable academies of the island that was bad sir but luxury isn't everything in life a man's mind goes to rest in a place of this kind well there will not be much rest for you in future i believe how would you like it if i were to take you back to the shores of the pacific that's just what i should like sir you were a king there and i was your prime minister and i may be king again perhaps this time with a queen a proud and beautiful queen lamescam smiled and shrugged his shoulders the queenly element was not quite wanting in the past sir he said Psha, henri the ephemeral fancy of the hour such chance entanglements as those do not rule a man's life perhaps not sir but i know one of those chance entanglements made lima unpleasantly warm for us and if after you winged don silvio there hadn't been a pair of good horses waiting for us you might never have seen the outside of peru and if a duel was dangerous in lima it would be ten times more dangerous in cornwall would it not henri of course it would sir but you are not thinking of anything like a duel here you can't be so mad as to think of it certainly not and now you can pack that small portmanteau while i take a stretch i shan't take off my clothes a man who has to be up before six should never trifle with his feelings by making believe to go to bed End of chapter 11